Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be talking about the re-release of the wonderful film Anvil, the story of Anvil. We are joined today by director and executive producer Sasha Gervaisi, as well as band members Lips and Rob Reiner. And I wanted to start with you, Sasha, in talking a little bit about the genesis of the film and, and going back to that time, because you had, you'd been a roadie with Rob, as particularly as a drummer, um, you know, when you were 15 years old for a summer and then kind of hadn't really thought about the band, hadn't followed and then rediscovered them several years later and realized that they were still going, they were still persevering, they were still playing all these shows and and reached out through their website thinking it was just a fan site and then obviously heard back from the band directly straight away. And and I was just so interested in, in kind of like once that connection happened and, and that rekindling of this friendship, what the early conversations about making a documentary looked like because you had that spark and that idea of it's about perseverance and it's about friendship. Um, but how did you start figuring out the how and the where, the why, and essentially like how you were going to put together this story in a narrative? Because this was also at the time your feature debut as a director. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I think that's the message I'd like to send to everyone. If you have no idea what you're doing, you may end up doing something interesting. I just had an instinct, you know, uh, when I, when I, I, I reconnected with Lips, and he flew out and um, to LA and he was wearing the same Scorpions t-shirt he'd been wearing 24 years before when I'd last seen him. And he was like, yeah, man, we're doing our 13th album. And I was just like, initially I was like, oh my God, you know, I'd just seen online, they'd play to a, a, a pub in Quebec. But he, he was so, with not many fans. And I knew that all the bands that they'd influenced, you know, had gone like Metallica and Anthrax and all those people. You know, Anthrax began as an Anvil cover band at the very beginning. That's how Anvil, Anthrax started. So all of the bands they'd influenced, a lot of them had gone on to major success and Anvil somehow had fallen between the cracks and hadn't really quite connected, as Lars says in the movie. Um, but I just was so um, bowled over by Lips's belief and enthusiasm and his never-say-die spirit. I was like, fuck, man, what happens when things go wrong and you're an artist and you have a moment of success or a period of success? Uh, well, you know, how what what makes people not want to give up? What is it? And, you know, I wanted to do a film about that and to explore, you know, that area of perseverance. And I just felt it was because I knew Rob so well and I knew Lips so well from back in the day. You know, when they were 14, they were at high school. They, they made a pact to rock together forever. And here they were at that point, you know, 35 years later, they were still doing it. Now it's 50 years later and they're still doing it. You know, and it's like, how many high school kids say, yeah, now we're going to rock forever when they're 14. Like how many of them actually mean that? Well, I would say it's probably a group of two, uh, you know, sitting here right now with us. So I just thought that level of commitment, the perseverance, to, you know, uh, and also just, just refusing to be put off and refusing to become bitter and refusing to like let go of this kind of beautiful idea they had. The movie was all about the story in the present. It wasn't what happened, you know, 40 years ago. It was about what was going on now. So I just said to Lips and Rob, I think I want to make a movie. And, and Rob was not sure initially, but Lips had this incredible instinct. He was, he got emotional when I told him because I think he knew everything that was going to happen already. And that's one of his, you know, the qualities I think you see a lot in the film is he has this kind of extraordinary wisdom, you know, that comes perhaps in the most unexpected package, you know, because Lips, you know, would play his guitar with a dildo and wear a bondage harness with a chainsaw. You know, I mean, it's like, you're not expecting much much Buddha-like wisdom to come from someone, someone like that. But, you know, then you realize who someone really is beyond the image, beyond the stage persona. 
And you realize that, you know, these are people, you know, with real lives, with families. And I just kind of started to get into that aspect. And I thought, well, there aren't too many music movies that really kind of go behind behind the music and get into the really personal stories and are able to be that intimate and close with band members when they're having really testing times. And by the way, every band, including, you know, Duran Duran, you know, who I, I know, you know, Nick, Nick and Simon from Duran Duran pretty well, you know, they have similar arguments, but no one's putting that on film. <laughs> You know, but every band, every creative collaboration goes through these crisis moments. I was just lucky enough to be able to to be there to film it. It was completely instinctual. There was no plan. We shot for two years. We had 300 hours of footage. We had to then make the movie work. And then I had to work out, okay, what are we doing here? And then I realized the film was about this. Anvil's a movie about the cost of refusing to give up on your dreams. The cost to you. As Lips's mother said, well, he gave up making money, you know, and whatever it is. So what does it take to endure? Because, you know, nothing comes for free, man. Pursuing your passion, you know, doesn't come with the guarantee that you're going to be rewarded financially or whatever. It doesn't come with that. You have to risk everything. And the fact that Bam was willing to do that, I just thought it was an incredible story. So that's kind of how it came together. It was like completely organic. It was not conscious. It was very much like we were all on the same page. I was super honest with them at the beginning. I said, I gotta get, I gotta make the audience laugh in a strange way at you for the first 15 minutes. Because also, let's face it, you guys are fucking funny. <laughs> but then we start to peel away the layers and we get to the truth of you know who these people are, and what the family backgrounds are, and what they really do, and Rob's painting and his backstory and lips is, you know, being the son of a Jewish tailor, an immigrant family, you know, like. These are things you don't expect in a, quote, heavy metal movie or a music movie. And that was the terrain I wanted to go into, the unexpected aspects of, uh, of what you initially judge and think. And then when you set your judgment aside and you go into the sort of the humanity and the truth of the story, you realize that these people who play music that maybe you don't like or who dress in the way that maybe you don't understand, that we're all fucking human beings, you know, and we all have these incredibly important things in common that are so much more fundamentally important than, than the things that separate us. And I thought if I can let the audience experience this connection with them and respect for them by the end for doing what they love, you know, that will be an interesting journey for the audience. So that was kind of the intention. And I, I have to say it was really gratifying, particularly last night in LA, we had a, another premiere which was 1,200 people, which was basically twice the size of the original premiere. Um, and Dustin Hoffman came to that one last night, as well as the original one. Like, just crazy shit happened. It was so gratifying to see that the movie plays to kids, and they're feeling that post-COVID. They want that hope, that inspiration, that, that, that sort of inspiring story, you know, because they've been through a lot, just as Anvil has. So, I don't know. It just feels gratifying that we were able to get on film what I hoped the film would be. You know, you make a movie, you know, you shoot for the moon. Sometimes you hit it. Sometimes you miss. Um, but this one was really exactly what I hoped. I, I really would not change a frame in terms of the film because I love it. Well, I have one shot that maybe I would change. But other than that, not a big one. Um, so does that make sense in terms of like, yeah, so that's it. It doesn't. And for you, Robin Lips, it's it's so interesting to hear Sasha mentioning that, you know, there, there was a, a dichotomy between wanting to do the film between the two of you, you know, and having one person that's really into it and, and also having you, Rob, have a few hesitations at the beginning. And obviously the film wouldn't work without both of you being wholeheartedly invested. And, you know, one of the things I remember from 
from when the film first came out is just how open you both were on camera. And it's not even just about both of you. It's the fact that your families are there on screen opening themselves up as well. And you can see how much a part of your careers and your artistry they've been over the years as well. And so what did the conversations look like between the two of you when you weren't necessarily both in agreement about saying yes straight away? And what was it that, that kind of brought you around into saying yes eventually, Rob? Well, it's not, it's not that I didn't say no. Okay, the, gotta get this straight. I didn't say no. I just, at first, found it like, what the fuck are you gonna make a movie about a band that nobody knows about? You know, those are the kind of things that we're thinking about. My, the, it's a band that everybody should know about, but, you know, and it felt just like, okay. But Sasha said to me, and to Lips, you just gotta be yourselves. If this is gonna work, you gotta be yourselves, nothing more. And I said, that's it, that's all like, we gotta do. I said, well, that's gonna be easy. That, that was, that it was easy. And he, um, I trusted him, completely I trusted him that you know, he wanted to help his friends and, uh, and make uh, you know, a piece of uh, art, whatever, you know, piece of work. And he said, if there's something you guys didn't like, that you know, he would take it out. And there was nothing at the end that I wanted to take it out. It was, the movie was a masterpiece where it was finished. Well, it's but, interesting because Rob watched the movie once through, and I can't imagine because if someone made a movie about my life, I'd probably be shocked. So he watched it once through and was just like taking it in. And then he said, at the end of it, I said, what do you think? He said, play it again. <laughs> so he sat through it a second time. And once he saw the movie again, then I think he was able to kind of process it because I can only imagine, Rob, like how how insane it must be having your life put into yeah. well, it. Was, it was, honestly, it was like, you know, for two and a half years, you guys were filming and I was sort of going, what the fuck are these guys doing? They're, you know, we're, we're, we're making a, a documentary about a band and these guys are filming like everything, you know, like every act, fights, drama, fucking family. Like, so... After a while, I started going, I, I didn't, I kind of didn't really get it. You know, I mean, I said, what kind of movie are you making? So when I saw it the first time it was finished, it was like, holy fuck, this is like uh, not what I thought it was going to be like, but in a positive way, you know what I mean? And that's why I said, about, you know, what about after the second time? What yeah, that's what I'm saying. After the yeah. second time, after the second time, I watched it right away there. Then it all came together to me. And that's when I stood up and hugged you and said, man, you're going to fucking rip people's hearts out. <laughs> and that's such an interesting point as well about the, the amount of time that you spent filming with Sasha on this film, that it was two and a half years and it was about 600 hours of footage on the other side of things. Only 300, only 300. Sorry, 300. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was oh it something... <laughs> Was it something where both of you kind of had an immediate comfort because you had that pre-existing relationship with Sasha, because you both really trusted him implicitly in terms of how you opened up, particularly in the on-camera interviews where he's following you and you're talking directly to camera? Um, or was there a little period of time where it was kind of getting used to just the presence of the camera being with you in the day-to-day -day and all those moments? That was an easy adjustment, really. I didn't, for me, it didn't bother me I didn't even, we didn't even realize they were there, the cameras. Then we just we just went on about our lives. Everything, like Sasha said, just be yourselves. That's it. 
And so I, I found- like if someone's filming as a documentary crew, you know that as soon as someone's filming it, you're, you're kind of tense, you're putting on a performance. So the trick with a documentary is to be there for so long that you just drop it. And that after about two weeks of shooting, Lips and Rob were just themselves. They didn't even notice the cameras because they were used to them. And that's when we got some amazing footage because actually in certain moments when the movie came back, Lips and Rob at different times would say, I didn't even remember that you were there. Like, because we just became part of the, the furniture. You know, just came, you don't, and you don't care. So what? They're there right. before, they were there before, they're there now, they're there 10 minutes ago, they're there in 15 minutes from now. Who gives a shit? Some, some stuff, they start filming as you're in the middle of, of, of talking. You don't even know that they're going to use any of it. Yeah. So, and, by the way, so you know, if I was if I was filming right now, I'd be have a close up on lips rolling that joint while we're doing this interview. Because right. I mean, just for your viewers, I don't know if this is audio or video, but you know, lips is just making a massive Camberwell carrot right now on the table. He's just like rocking that, and I just thought I'd point that out because that's what I'm I'd Canadian, be doing. Eh? Just doing what uh, you know, I'm a Canadian. <laughs> I'm a Canadian. So is Wayne Gretzky, but he doesn't know how to do a Camberwell carrot, does he? Yeah, you know, you'd be surprised. He just doesn't talk about it. That's all. I mean, Lips, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, what you really wanted the film to capture in terms of what goes into that perseverance. The fact that we see you, both of you throughout the film in your day job, see what you have to do in order to pay your bills, in order to feel your passion and be able to go out on tour and, and play these gigs, um, you know, but also just the elements of the, the financial back end and all of that and what it takes to actually make an album. What were some of the things that you found really important that Sasha really captured in the film about the reality of, of being a creative in the industry? Because the majority of people pursuing creative pursuits are in that position versus what we tend to see front facing, which is the success. Okay. When, when, when Sasha came to me and, and said that he's going to make a movie about what we're talking about, I go, you couldn't have, in my mind, I'm going, you couldn't have picked the more correct guy. I'm, I'm going to show the world what, what, a, what musicians really have to do and the way you have to set your life up in order to do rock and roll. And it's, it speaks volumes for the vast majority of the genre, specifically metal, because there's there's if even one percent of all the bands made it, it would be it would be like what I mean by made it or, or when I say make it, what I'm talking about is they're making a living from their craft. I would say only one percent. The rest are having to have to do what you saw me do in that movie. You know, and this no one has ever had enough balls or guts or 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 the, the the strength of character to actually bring it. So when Sasha said, "Here, you want to do, well, let's make a movie and show what your life is and what you're doing to get out of the out of the hole, out of the out of the to get recognition," let me show it. I'm I'm going. You picked the right guy. 
you picked the right guy. I, I, I'm the fucking guy. I'm going to deliver this fucking, I not only do I deliver food, I'll deliver this message to the world. And it, I mean, and it's interesting. It's interesting because a lot of rock docs are about really successful band and, and the, they're kind of usually produced by the band and controlled by the band. And they always talk about how great and successful the band are. There's this sort of undercurrent, but that I wanted to do a truthful music documentary, you know, about what it was really like, as Lip says, for the, for the majority of musicians. In fact, this movie went down so well that I was asked to potentially direct the Rolling Stones movie, Crossfire Hurricane, that Brett Morgan ended up doing a, a brilliant job on. And, you know, I remember Mick Jagger saying, but, you know, nothing personal. You know, he, did, he didn't want to really get into the backstories. And I was like, well, that's what I do. <laughs> I wasn't going to, you know, as much as I love the Stones, which I do, um, I just felt like the more interesting movie is to get into that relationship between Mick and Keith. And, you know, they're the biggest band in the world. But what we know that we're only being shown a certain amount of that. And so that was not something I felt like I could honestly do. I don't I don't need to do a, a movie that's all about how amazing the Rolling Stones are. We fucking know how amazing they are. What's the other stuff? <laughs> that no one knows. And that was the, that's, that's sort of about this, you know, about Amber was like, this is the stuff that most groups or bands go through, but they don't want to show you. And I think that's why the movie resonates because it's truthful. Absolutely. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about the editing of the film, Sasha, because, you know, one of the things in in hearing about the film being re-released was just remembering how it felt to watch this film in a cinema with people, like remembering the anger and frustration when that bar, you know, the bar manager is trying to pay them in goulash and, and renege on what he owes them, remembering the excitement of watching them come out to this full crowd, fully invested in Japan. Um, and there's such tact in terms of the way that you've really built that trajectory and built that narrative arc and and given how much footage you had uh, I imagine there's a lot of different directions and narratives you could have created in how you told yeah. this story and yeah. so how did the emotional journey that you wanted us to to carry us on in terms of really connecting to Rob and Lips and just understanding what they're going through at each well, stage all, influence you know, a lot of those choices as you intimated it's a very delicate tonal dance this movie because this is a movie that has a, a grown man playing a, a flying v guitar with a dildo and it also has the Holocaust. So if you think about how far apart those two things are, right? How do you have a movie that has all of that, right? Um, and it's all about editing, as you correctly said. And I think it was about the decision to make, you know, to make a movie. You have to, what, what is your movie about, right? For any filmmakers out there, you're always trying to work out what is it about? Sometimes you work out after you've made the movie what it's about, you know? But in this case, I knew to edit the film. And I had, as I said, hundreds of hours of footage, 300 hours. Like, how am I going to make the movie? And I realized that for me, the film was about the cost of refusing to give up your dreams. That's what the film's about. So then in editorial, it was about every single scene has to relate to that theme. How does this scene relate to it? How does that? So as soon as you said your overall kind of arc is that film, this is a film about the cost of refusing to give up your dreams. Anything that wasn't related or about that or was connected with that in some way could not be in the film. And so that's how we did it. We, we, we just sort of broke it down editorially. I had an absolutely brilliant editor called Andrew Dickler, who, was a, who is an absolute genius. And we sat there and we looked at the, the storyboards and we looked at the footage and we created the movie out of the footage um, because sometimes the, the, the invented narrative dramatic truth 
is much closer to the truth than the truth itself. In other words, you're showing a universal truth through something you're creating. And that's, I think, what happened in this movie is why it's still clearly resonating, um, is that we really thought long and hard about how to structure it. And every single moment had to connect and everything had to, A had to lead to B, had to lead to C. And to get that dance was, you know, it it took a year of editing to really get that movie to cohere so that every moment when it arrived felt honest and and pertinent to what was really going on. And we had to cut a lot of amazing things. They always say, kill your darlings, you know? So I had incredible scenes that I just, I couldn't put in the movie because they didn't relate to the narrative arc. So yeah, it was it's a tough process, but I'm so happy, you know, it was worth the year of work, I think, you know? Absolutely. And, and and Robin Lips, it sounds like since the release of the film several years ago, that there has finally been that opportunity for you to make music your day job in the way that you always wanted to. You know, one of the things I remember from the film is that you talk about, you know, how your craft is always improving as musicians. You're always out there playing, you're always doing gigs and with that perseverance. And so how do you feel that your relationship with your music has either kind of stayed the same or evolved with the fact that it now has been able to become your day job and your not having to do as many things on the side just to fuel it and just to fund it. The best thing is the band is our shitty day job. <laughs> Can't you know when you can do what you love and you earn a living from it? That's success. Now again, can I just point out, Mara, that if I was shooting this right now, earlier I said Anvil is rolling a joint. I would now say I would be shooting Anvil is now eating Chipotle. But that's the undercurrent of everything. <laughs> it's giving me a window into some of the footage that was probably on the cutting room well, floor. I, mean, this and is I love it. Goes on. This is why I made the film. I was like, it's a movie. <laughs> the thing about Anvil is it never stops. 24-7, Anvil are Anvil. And in fact, they made a record called Anvil is Anvil. It just never stops, which is an Anvil staring at itself in a mirror. Um <laughs> And, and Sasha as well, you know, because you're making this story where this the central theme is that that perseverance and just giving your absolute all and, and you're working with these two amazing musicians who've been dedicating themselves for decades, regardless of the outcome. How did that really shape and influence the relationship that you had with your artistry as a storyteller creating a documentary when you were going through the process, given that that's what you were watching day to day in the in the two of them? It's really interesting because, you know, uh, the backstory to me is I've come to Hollywood and, you know, I, 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 I had sort of not known anyone. And then for a series of fortuitous meetings, I ended up, you know, I wrote a script and it got to Steven Spielberg and I ended up working with him. And, you know, it was an extraordinary thing. I mean, you know, I was at UCLA Film School studying, you know, the films of Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. And not long, long after I left, I was working with them. You know, it was a it's pretty mind blowing. And I think, you know, what was happening around the time of 2005 or whatever, I was just thinking like, my God, you know, I've kind of, I guess I've made it, whatever that means. But, you know, I had lots of offers of work, but there was something in my soul that was missing. You know, I I came to Hollywood to like make movies, not to make money. That's why I came. I live for the experience that the band lives for, which is seeing a crowd live respond to their music and to have a real experience like we had last night at LA 1200 people watch the movie then the band comes out it's called the Anvil experience it's like mental so uh, for me it was about the message you can send to people in a movie theater all at the same time and so Anvil was sort of born out of that idea 
And I, I, I kind of felt like, I'd, okay, so maybe I've made it now, whatever that means, but now I want to make movies where, you know, I, I'm, it's much more personal rather than a day job, you know? So I had a very successful day job, but that wasn't really my point. My point was to like to be in the audience lot last night and, and watch 17, 18, 19 year old kids going nuts for this movie. You know, I mean, you can't buy that, you know, that's like an, a mirror, a miraculous gift that frankly never happens. Right. So the fact that it's happened is, you know, it's just that, but that's what I live for. Uh, it's the same thing as a Anvil going out on stage and seeing the look of their fans as they're, as they're hearing the music, you know, and I guess I was, it, does that answer your question round and about? Like it's, 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 it's the, the purpose of what I do or what I try and create is to, because something in my soul is trying to say something and I want people to, I want to share that with people or connect with people, or I hope they listen to it. And because ultimately we, you know, we're, we're all pretty similar. We all just want very basic things like to be loved, to appreciate, to love, whatever those things are. And um, that's why it's such a unique medium. I'm so lucky that I can make my living doing it, as I think in the same way Anvil feels lucky that they can now make money from their passion. So, you know, the movie changed my career and opened up all sorts of crazy possibilities. And as a result of Anvil, you know, Anthony Hopkins agreed for me to direct him and Helen Mirren too, the massive Anvil fans, you know, I wasn't intending for that to happen, but that's what happened. So it, it's just like, I think the message for me is if you're coming from the heart, you just can't fail, no matter what it is. You may not succeed in the way you think or in the time that you think or whatever, but if you're coming from a place of passion and love, somehow, somewhere, things will come right. Amazing. I, I love hearing that. And it's so wonderful to see the way that the film is still continuing to connect and, and, you know, not just in terms of the story of the film, but also with the band. And I'm so thrilled that the two of you have finally been able to make this your day job. Um, so congratulations on everything with the film's re-release. And thank you to the three of you for talking about it today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mara. Thank you for having us. Sorry, you now. Forget sorry. Just whatever. <laughs>